Akshay, my friend, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you, brother. Doing great, man. Yeah, it's good to see you. You had a big day yesterday. I'd love for you to dive into what happened. I did. I got married yesterday after dating Melissa for about five and a half months. We got engaged on our two-month anniversary and got married yesterday. Holy crap. Yeah. And I say that like, holy crap, with like jubilation and excitement. But I think some people can't even fathom that, that like you found it that quickly because, you know, I've known you for God, almost we're coming on four years since I've I've known you. And and it's just uh, to go from this zero to, you know, no woman, no woman in your life to now the woman in your life. Yeah. To a missus, right? That's a huge a huge jump, yeah. but it's also something that, you know, every time I've talked to you, there's, there's smiling, there's, there's feeling of fulfillment. Yeah. But what does it feel like for something like that in your life to happen really fast and also feel really good? I mean, you've known me for a while, right? This was kind of yeah. the one area of my life that wasn't wasn't as perfect as I wanted to be, was was missing. You know, everything else was going really well. Mind, body, spirit doing extremely well. I've been blessed to live an epic life until I stopped actually doing anything with my business. Business was going well, had money, had, you know, uh, uh, like had an adventurous life, which is ultimately what I seek. So when I had money, I would go do cool things with it. I've done a ridiculous amount of epic things the last few years, you know, Uh, from scuba diving the Galapagos to climbing Denali to being in Antarctica, just epic life that I feel blessed for. But this was the one area that was missing. And it was always kind of this fear of how it would play out because of the crazy life I live. And now with this four-month expedition across Antarctica coming up, you know, and so when it did happen and when I found this, this, this amazing woman that is so aligned in how we operate, you know, we have alignment in our values, but we have polarity in other areas. And that creates this kind of beautiful cohesion that I don't use this word lightly when I say that it's perfect, you know, what we've had and what we have mm. and what we've built. So it, I just couldn't be more grateful and blessed for it, man. As, as you've known, since you've known me, this was kind of the one thing I was looking for. Never imagined yeah. it would, six months ago, dude, I didn't even, I wasn't even dating anybody. I never imagined at the end of this year I'd be there married. There was nobody. There was, yeah, there was nobody. like nobody. <laughs> there was no prospect. <laughs> there were, I was scheduled to go to Antarctica this year, right? You know, yeah, so that's right. certainly didn't think it would happen. So I just, I mean, it's constant gratitude and, and just feeling very, very blessed at how she came, how it happened and the fact that we are so aligned in how we operate and what a incredible relationship we've built. And when you operate from such presence, so, such intentionality, such um, inner alignment, you know, that, that you are operating from that place of, of pure of pure acceptance of who you are, pure owning of who you are. You've done that inner work. Time is a construct, man. So I know by conventional standards and a lot of people is like mm-hmm. six months is quick, obviously. And I get, I get that. That's, you know, I get where that coming, where that's coming from, but six months can, and we, to this day, we always talk about how if every day feels still like it's the first few days together, but it also feels like we've been together forever. And there's this beautiful duality of that coexisting and it's, it's magnificent, man. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned alignment a couple of times before the show, we were talking about, yeah. you know, the theme of this podcast is really about alignment. Mm. And for all of you out there, um, who listened to the beginning of the episode, I talk a lot about Akshay and my, and my relationship with him. Um, we've been dear friends for, for four years, going on four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known Akshay and what is self-prescribed crazy lifestyle that he has, <laughs> he has cultivated for himself. He's very well known for his extreme endeavors. But one of the things that I admire about Akshay also is, is that um, extreme endeavors are not, crazy endeavors are not, 
this man lives in total alignment with that extreme craziness, meaning that every single area of his life and, you know, hand to God, that I don't see areas that are not in alignment with you. The mind, the put the way that you push your mind from the darkness retreats to the way that you physically push yourself, dragging tires and you know, and and here in Scottsdale and Phoenix for, you know, in the middle of the summer in 115 degree heat mm-hmm. for two or three hours. Mm-hmm. This man embodies alignment. And I want to dive into today because he is one of the few people, but he's also a renowned speaker and he's an amazing coach. Thank you. So actually, with that being said, let's talk about alignment. What does it mean to you to be aligned? And how can people find that type of alignment for themselves? Great question. I think to be aligned means that where the all all the parts that are you are operating from both within as well as without as in the external mission that you are on they are united right so if i say i'm going mm-hmm. to do something i do it right and that, so any anything that you're honoring your word so you were aligned if the conscious self for example is choosing a path to say that i want to live the highest version of myself this is my guiding force this is my guiding philosophy my mission my vision so first that means starting off with clarity on who that is right you can't operate for our alignment if you actually don't have clarity on that. So I have a guiding philosophy statement, for example, that that is kind of my North Star, my compass. I even have the words I want written on my tombstone. You know, So for example, the words I want written on my tombstone is he brought light into darkness. That's my North Star. And I have a compass to orient my life mm. to. You know? So am I living in alignment with that? But it took a lot of inner work to even create that, right? So that's based on tons of inner work, as you know, that I've done over the decades. And even like I have a philosophy, an ethos statement. Mine is the path to inner peace is the pursuit of a worthy and loving inner war. So that's my philosophy on how we find that thing that we all seek. I'm not saying it's the right way for everybody, but that's like my guiding philosophy. So am I living that? Am I living in alignment with that, right? My conscious self says, this is what I seek. Am I actually operating from that? Does my subconscious operating from uh, operate from that? Now, this doesn't mean every thought and every feeling in my body, in my mind, is perfectly aligned with that. But when I have a thought conflicting that, I don't have to listen to that thought. You know, we all we all are not our thoughts and our feelings. We're all going to have crazy thoughts, right? The example I always give, mm-hmm. the example we always hear: somebody cuts you off. I think. I'm going to fucking murder that guy. Does that mean that's who I am? No, right? But I have a thought, but I don't do it. So it doesn't mean every thought is perfect all the time, but I have cultivated um, that alignment through this inner work. And then as I have gone down the journey of playing on these edges, all edges, battling my own inner demons, you know, from PTSD, depression, drinking, drug addiction before that, being at war to then then coming back and doing all these these extreme endurance sports from running ultra marathons to being in Antarctica and playing on these edges, they have o- allowed me to open up doors into myself. They have allowed me to access places within my own soul that have allowed me to find some answers as to who I am and who I seek to be. So from that place, because you can't create that alignment and that clarity if you have no idea who you are, right? So how does that process start? You go on this journey. You go on this hero's journey to discover who you seek to be, who you want to be. But that means you're going to have to go into terrain you've never been before. And I don't just mean sort of Mm. literally as in go into Antarctica, whatever it may be. It means right. going into new terrain within your soul, right? Exploring your new yourself to find some of those answers to unearth some of the treasures of the human soul and then taking those treasures to create your own 
reality of who you want to be. And then is that inner, is that inner self aligned with the outer self? Right. And you, you know, you have, I've talked a lot with, about this with, uh, with you about the, the nature of dualities and how there's all these dualities that exist in the human condition, right? Masculine, feminine, ego, humility, light and dark, um, contentment, discontentment, right? Pain and pleasure, all of these dualities that coexist. And another way that I create alignment, and this is kind of a, one of my core spiritual teachings that I could not recommend enough to people, and I think it's the essence of how we find true spiritual awakening and inner peace, is by playing on the edge of every duality and then finding oneness of how these two seemingly contradictory forces can coexist. Because mm. we live in a world that often demonizes one That's side good. of the duality is bad, right? Pain is bad, the darkness is bad, uh, stress is bad, fear is bad, whatever these quote-unquote bad things. But Every duality that exists, neither is bad, neither is good. They just are. They are all part of this grand adventure that is the human experience. And you find alignment by playing on all edges of them. And then through that, you discover how these two seemingly contradictory forces can, can coexist. And then actually that when you do make them coexist, like play and suffering, for example, you find more wholeness because you are now a whole being operating on all selves, not just stuck in one paradigm of reality, not just stuck in one prison. Like as yeah. a quick example, uh, is, you know, I mean, I'm one who pushes myself on the edge of suffering, right? But you also know that every time we hang out, I'm always playful. I'm always laughing. I'm always yeah. light, right? Because I, I do, I, it started off as conscious, but now it's just, that's who I am, that I will play on both edges of both suffering and play as an example of one duality. But every duality, I play on all edges. I mean, even my now wife, Melissa, is like, well, she was shocked. She could, could not believe how romantic I was. She was like, I'd never thought you'd be this romantic, you know? Because people see me and think I'm just hard and like all that kind of guy. But I'm as soft as can I can possibly be when I need to be. Because that's what makes more, life more fulfilling and that's what creates true alignment. Yeah, and, it, and it's so interesting because, um, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing you saying just for the rest of the, the listeners here and the, and the viewers that, you know, there's this almost like this intentional pulling out of the darkness that is mm -hmm. needed in order for you to feel excited to go back in. And I think mm -hmm. that type of formula, we use that for work. You know, they always tell you like, don't work too much. You need to rest is like the opposite side of the duality. And then like mm -hmm. when you're rest and recharge, you know, you need to go back and into work, right? It's that kind of that pendulum swing where we go back one through the other. Something that was really interesting when you were talking about the nature of duality, life and death is one of those dualities that a lot of people are, are in my opinion, are afraid to talk about. And this tombstone exercise that you came up with, this mantra of visualizing the end of your life buried in the ground with that, with that saying etched into your tombstone, um, he brought light to the darkness. Mm -hmm. For many people, death is like the ultimate extreme. And so is like vitality is also an ultimate extreme. When you, when you visualize the end of your life or, or death in, in such a magnitude that it empowers you to make these choices, um, walk us through that. What's the, how do you navigate something that the inevitable end uh, with your own death? How do you navigate that in your choices, knowing that it's yeah. all going to come to an end? Does, how do you make it matter to you? I think the presence of death, the 
recognition and awareness of our own mortality is the most powerful tool to make life more valuable. You know, there's that book, The Five Regrets of the Dying, or when people are finally at their deathbed, they now look back. And I could be wrong on this, but I think you and me have chatted about this, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think Steve Jobs, when he finally died, he was like, I think one of his regrets was, I wish I spent more time with my kids or something like that, mm, right? Yeah. And so when we, when, when suddenly when our mortality hits, it changes our entire perspective of did we do the right things? And I, I stay very present to this, that I don't want to look back on my life and think, I didn't live it fully. I didn't give my all to it. I didn't do enough. I didn't serve enough. So staying present to your death reframes how you live your life and it amplifies the experience of life. You know, to, 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 and to me, even the fear of death, like I don't think fear of death is a bad thing. When you have a healthy relationship with fear, fear of death is an incredibly powerful mechanism to amplify the, the awe that one can feel in this human experience, knowing that it will end. Otherwise, we all live. I mean, how many of us live that, oh, I'll do this tomorrow? Why is it that, as Henry David Thoreau said, most men, most people even, live lives of quiet desperation? And I think if we stay more present to the fact that this will all end, it will change how we live our life. And I don't just mean like live every day like if it's your last. Because if it was my last, I wouldn't actually go tire dragging. That shit sucks, you know? It's more it's more actually <laughs> yeah. like visualizing that I will die. And you can do this. Like I've done death meditations. One of my friends is a death meditation facilitator. In in Bhutan, they actually do, in, in many Buddhist traditions, they do death meditations regularly. You know, there's this saying even that of all footprints, that of the elephant is supreme. And of all meditations, that of death is supreme. You know, so mm -hmm. meditating on your death, visualizing it all gone, visualizing yourself, your, your everything in your body, your life, your vitality ending, what it would feel to your friends and your family, and then being with that, sitting with that. It should hurt. It should feel painful because that pain then changes, especially if you're not living a life in alignment with who you believe yourself to be, which I haven't, right? You know, I've struggled with drinking. I've broken my sobriety, sobriety a ton, wasted a shit mm -hmm. ton of my life drinking. And I think about that and I hold on to that when the time is necessary, especially if I'm in pain, especially when I lose, when, and when, when death hits, you know, I've lost friends. Two few days ago, I lost a very close brother of mine in the Marines. And when that hits, yeah. it, it, it gives you, it makes you think about your own life. You know, it, 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 stays with you. And, and, and it also helps you realize that you can use this life, especially for the ones we lost, like turn in one, one is sort of one aspect of death is dealing with our own upcoming impending death. But the other is also thinking about all those we've lost and using this life mm. to be of value for them. You know, one of my favorite quotes on that is from Harold Kushner, who wrote the book, why bad things happen to good people. And he said, the dead depend on us for their redemption and their immortality. I, I love, love that. that so much. I could have wasted my yeah. life drinking myself to, to death of, uh, eventually for, for feeling guilty because of my brother that I lost in the war, things like that. Now, when I lose, when this friend died, you know, this guy was a true hero. He was my mentor in the Corps, in the Marines. And I can use this life to honor him, to be worthy, to, to, to tell his story, how the impact it made, so that when I do something great, it's not just because I'm special, it's because the multitude of lives that have come together to produce this result, to make this thing, I, it's all so much more bigger than me, you know? So mm -hmm. death is, uh, it's a really important place to keep going into. And the nature of the things I do keep me very present to it very often. So sure. yeah. uh, in that sense, I'm blessed it and grateful for it. Yeah. And speaking of which, you know, when, when we talked about Antarctica, when you came back the first time, you had told me that there was this, uh, perfection streak that you have where you're like, I did everything right. 
I did everything I was supposed to do and you ended up coming back early and you didn't want to and you ended up losing your fingertips because of it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to gently say Antarctica kind of gave you a little bit of a taste of what to expect next year, right? And just kind of, kind of baptized you a little bit, you know, like, hey, this is, you think, you think losing your fingers is bad. See, see what else could happen, right? And I think there's a, I think what I noticed and just personally knowing you, there was a humility in that. Mm -hmm. And I loved, and I loved seeing that. The other thing that came up, I remember when we when we talked about you coming back, was this impermanence of life. Like you did everything perfect. You did everything you were trained to do. You told me literally, you went through your gear check thousands of times. You checked your straps. You shake. I mean, uh, folks, uh, Akshay's like taking this so seriously that he's cutting the tags off his t-shirt and gears just to save grams. Mm-hmm. And if you want to know how big of a difference that makes, it does. But what's even more um, compelling about this is uh, is watching him actually do it and making every single one count. You must have cut probably what a thousand tags at this point. Oh yeah, <laughs> to save grams off your gear. Yeah, yeah. And at least multiple different gear pieces that I then test. Right. You know, now I got a new sleeping bag that's minus twelve instead of minus forty, so not as warm, but it saves me another kilo, another two and a half, two point two pounds. You know. And, oh. and 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 what's interesting about this is that, you know, when we talk about this theme of impermanence of life, it's almost like no matter how perfect you think you are or how perfect you do things, that's how quick things can change for you. Yeah. Like nothing is permanent. As you're prepping for what you have deemed the great soul crossing next year, talk to me about the impermanence and facing that again in Antarctica. Give the folks a little bit of a taste of what is Antarctica like? Mm-hmm. So. I mean, Antarctica is, it's this magnificent playground that to me is such a beautiful mirror to the human spirit, to the human soul. Because for most, of, in most of Antarctica, there is no life. So speaking of impermanence, there's literally no life, right? Uh, there's penguins in one corner of Antarctica, but most of it is a barren, we call it a wasteland of nothingness, right? It's just unforgiving. It's so hostile to life itself. And then for us to, set foot in this arena, man, is it humbling, right? Talking about how it will, it'll break you. It left me with two missing fingers. I have even a very mild scar on the left side of my face here mm-hmm. from windburn, you know, because it was hurricane force winds that hammered me. And I made a, that one, I did make a slight mistake and I left a gap in my face mask. So it teaches you how small we are. And coming back to dualities also, it allows you to feel so powerful by even setting foot in that arena and playing in that arena because it is so unforgiving. So it that's what I love about nature, but especially a place like Antarctica where no life exists. It is the ultimate union of all dualities kind of coexisting as one, right? Because in Antarctica, like the highs that felt out there are some of the highest highs I've ever felt. And the lows are some of the lowest lows. You know, when you're out on expedition, you can have moments where you feel so alone, but you also feel so connected. I mean, you remember when I was there, I'd be texting you, texting my friends. So I'd be missing Mm -hmm. my friends, missing the ones I love deeply. But it wasn't like I missed them. I want to go back away from Antarctica. It was gratitude to Antarctica for making me feel that intensely about the ones I love, you know? And Mm. so you feel all these seemingly contradictory forces, these two polarities actually existing as one. And it is this, so talking about impermanence, like impermanence and permanence, right? Like these, again, the polarity of that. So we are small, it will will humble you, you know? (laughs) Antarctica, it will truly humble you, but you can feel time become 
everlasting, right? Time loses its value. And there, at the same time, there's moments where one, like 10 minutes can feel like a lifetime out there, you know? So and yeah. it, it's also, it's also this experience of kind of immortality through these deeds, we, through these creations of who we are and what we do, we can become immortalized beyond just ourselves, right? I mean, you've written a book. This book will live long last, long past you, right? As will mine. Yeah. And so these deeds that we do, they live long past us. And Antarctica gives you, to, to my experience, like a little glimpse of that impermanence that will all end because it makes you feel very close to your death. Not that it's like super dangerous as compared to free soloing or anything like that, but when you see these giant crevasses out there, man, is it humbling, right? Uh, but it also feels so powerful to play in that playground. It's a real privilege. Mm. I feel very grateful I get to go out there. Yeah, that's a beautiful description that you you gave of a place that many many of us, if not, um, or I should say very few people in the world yeah. will ever get to set foot on. Really um, great you mentioned your book, Firvana, yeah. which is a powerful read. It's, it's, it's really well done. Thank you. And it talks about the suffering and the fear and bliss. And I know you talk about bliss through this lens of, of darkness and suffering. There's a lot of research that you've done in there. You know, when it comes to Firvana and combining again, the duality, right? It's like Nirvana with fear combined yeah. together. And, you know, what I loved about in the book is, is you talk about the, you know, the pathway is through the darkness. You talk about that's where you can really, truly cultivate grand power and really discovery in that. You know, one of my favorite stories that you've ever told me from speaking of the darkness is that you ended up doing a darkness retreat in preparation for this. And your training regiments is, is, is quite wild. It is a really wild training re mm -hmm. regiment. I mean, drinking bottles of olive oil, <laughs> you're mm -hmm. you're measuring every single piece of food mm -hmm. or not measuring, but it's a lot of keto. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of calories. Mm -hmm. It's giving up ex uh, ultra running, which was something you loved doing. And you're now playing in a game where very few people are doing this. There's, it's never been done before. I believe you told me one time the the goat of polar exploration told you that it was like impossible that you to do something like this or am I right in that? A guy who is the expedition manager at ALE, so he's tracked every modern expedition in history has said that anyone who attempts this crossing a uh, coast because what I'm attempting to do is a coast to coast crossing of Antarctica. So 110 days yeah. solo dragging a 14 uh, 400 pound sled for 1700 miles. He said anyone who attempts this will probably fail. Mm. And when you hear that from somebody, given all the things that you've attempted in your life, this extreme regiment, the mindset work that you're doing, the days in the darkness where you've you've been in darkness rooms for 10 days. I believe there was one time you were you were even pushing yourself to go to 21. Mm -hmm. um, Thinking about it. I remember one time you were like, <laughs> I'm going to do like three weeks. Um, you know, this this extreme training and you're so focused on making aligned choices to be the first human in, in history to do a coast-to-coast -coast expedition of Antarctica. And then you hear this noise from the head of ALE, which uh, it, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, what is ALE? Antarctic Logistics and Expeditions. They're the ones who manage all logistics for yeah. adventurers in Antarctica. Yeah, so this is this governing body, everyone, that that Akshay has been, you know, playing, kind of playing... Uh, you know, ring around the rosy with for quite some time trying to figure out when he can go and do this mission. But when you have them tell you it's, you'll, you'll more than likely you'll fail. And you have people look at you and tell you you're nuts. 
you're crazy. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing such a thing? Even your wife, you have told me, has looked at you and like, I believe in you and I know you're going to do it, but are you, are you sure? <laughs> you know, like this is, there's a lot of questioning that happens to you, but yet you've stayed so commit, committed to your mission, the training. How do you do that? That comes, you know, that commitment, that confidence. Like when I hear that, that, you know, more than, more than likely any of those, anyone who attempts this will fail, it, there's a twofold effect it has on me. One, it lights me up, you know, like awesome, bring mm. it. I can't wait. Yeah. And the other is got it. That's good to know. So I need to train, make sure I train my ass off to actually pull this off, right? But where that inner knowingness comes from that this is my path has been because I've stepped into the arena multiple times. I've gone to war with myself, right? You probably heard me say this. I always say belief is built on the battlefield. I, I, I kind of hate this overwhelming focus on the personal development arena of quote unquote, conquering your limiting beliefs. Forget about your limiting beliefs. You don't need to believe in yourself to step into the arena. And the arena is whatever your arena is. It doesn't have to be running ultra marathons. It means something where you are going to war with yourself. It could be writing a book. Those things are hard. Building a business, being in a relationship, raising kids, right? All these things, whatever your worthy struggle is, whatever your path is, whatever your challenge is, that's stepping into the arena. And when you do that, you're going to go to places you've never been before because you're seeking something you've never had before. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to go to hard times. You're going to feel fear. You're going to feel pain. But the when you go into that war with yourself and you win, and you systematically keep winning, you stack that wins, it builds a knowingness in who you are, in what your path is, right? I didn't always know this is who I want to be, uh, right? Even at one point, I wanted to go career in the Marines. That path radically changed. No regrets because collectively it built me into this person that I am now with this certainty and this commitment of my path. But that comes from the preparation, from doing the inner work, from going to war with the self, from winning those battles with myself and doing the hard thing. You know, the more you, the greater you, you dig deeper into your soul, the more you will unearth treasures in that. And those treasures are really self-actualization, self-knowing, self, you know, know thyself, right? The greatest existential journey right there, you know, self-transcendence even. And that process is what allowed me to build that commitment. So when the world tells me, and like you said, I get this a ton. People, when I got my fingers, people, I lost my fingers. A lot of people are like, why would you go back? What's wrong with you? That's stupid. And that's okay. You know, and I, there's no judgment. I don't say this in a judgy way, but everybody's going to come at you with their own paradigm on reality and often their own limitations. But when you play on your own edges, you learn how lim how the limitations we perceive are nothing compared to what we can actually do. You know, this is coming back to what I said. You don't need to believe in yourself. You go to war with yourself and suddenly you discover, whoa, I didn't even think I could do that. You know, and suddenly you're like, I didn't think I can do that. Yeah. What else can I do? Now you keep, the more you keep playing on that edge, the more you discover how limitless we truly are. And the more you start to drown out the noise of other people operating from their own limitations. And again, that's not a judgment. We all have that. But you drown out the noise and you recognize that the human spirit, the human soul truly is limitless. And I want to go find out what the hell is out there. Because what I'm seeking is not like, I don't like there's, yes, there's a part of it is doing something no human being has ever done before. But the real core of that is the deeper spiritual journey of pushing an edge that's never been pushed before. Because the bigger the dragon, the bigger the treasure, right? And I seek to battle the biggest dragon there is. In terms of voluntary suffering, there is nothing like polar exploration. It is the greatest voluntary suffering that I've ever experienced. And voluntary meaning I seek it as opposed to it's thrust yeah. upon me, right? Like being thrust into a war zone, refugee camps, sex trafficking, whatever it may be, whole different beast, obviously. So in terms of voluntary suffering, this is kind of the greatest edge I can possibly find. Inevitably, then the treasures I unearth of that are going to be the the greatest treasures I can find, and so I want to mm. go see what that what that 
what's what's out there, you know, regardless of what the world tells me. Yeah, what's what's been the most profound realization that you've had in the midst of training for this expedition? Was there something that came to you in the depths of tire dragging in 115 degree heat or, you know, doing uh doing your Nordic curls and training for those going yeah. from zero to 21, I think you, yeah. you were posted on Instagram. You know, what what would you say is like the most profound realization that you had about yourself in the midst of these, um, in the depths of your training? Mm. Uh, it'd be hard to pin, to point mm. out one, but I remember like what's coming to me is when I was in the Arctic earlier this year on a, on a couple of solo expeditions. You know, one day I was skiing and I was being hammered by uh, polar storms. And the next day I was skiing. And so the snow was very soft because of all these storms that came in. And when you're dragging a very heavy sled in soft snow, it's much more work instead of if it was, if it was thicker, harder snow. And in this soft snow, it was really tough going up and down these hills. And I kept saying to myself, thank you, God, for these perfect conditions. Mm. Because everything is perfect in its isness, for it cannot be anything other than what it already is. And this was such a beautiful realization about the acceptance of isness. What causes us real suffering is the resistance of isness. And this is not to say that we won't suffer in life, right? There will be suffering. There will be pain, like sometimes just physical when I'm doing the things that I do, or sometimes yeah. it's thrust upon us or emotional pain, the loss of people we love or whatever it may be. You know, that, that pain is real and it's okay, but that, that's the, that's coming back to the acceptance of isness. It's okay to feel that. Right, these emotions we go through—they're not bad. Guilt, sadness, fear, anxiety. As I said earlier, right? There's no bad emotions. There's no good emotions. There's only emotions. Mm, right. It's up to us to decide what we do with them. But it's the resistance of isness. I should not feel this way. You know what? In, in the come back to the Arctic example, I, I wish the snow was another way. Though, if I said that now, I'm creating unnecessary suffering. Yes, it was harder to go up in soft snow, but by accepting the isness of those conditions. I removed the unnecessary suffering and actually found tremendous beauty in it simply by kept saying, thank you, God, for yeah. the perfect conditions, you know? Can you define or expand upon isness? What's your, what is that for people who haven't heard that term before? Yeah, great question. The way to think about it is to reduce it to kind of a first principles kind of thinking. So what is the thing beyond your control right now? So for example, this is a water bottle. I can get super meta with this and say, okay, even this, right? What is this a really a water bottle? How, why do I look at this thing that I'm holding? I'm holding up a red water bottle and I say, okay, this thing is red. This thing is a water bottle. How do I know that? Because at a young age, I was taught this color I'm seeing is red and this thing is a water bottle. But that's a construct that's been created for me, right? We, when we look at the world, we are looking at the world through a series of constructs that create our reality. Everything. That, why is that what I'm behind me, a white wall? because I was taught that color is white, that thing is a wall. All of how we engage with reality is constructs that have been assigned to us that are created through our parents, through life, through education system, through beliefs, right? And that constructs shape our reality. To, to go really deep into understanding the true isness, it's not just about the weather is this way. That's part of it, right? Like that's, that's an isness there because we'll often say, I wish it was not snowing today. I wish it was not as rainy, not as cold. That's a resistance of isness. It is cold. It is Actually, it's not even cold. It's 24 degrees or whatever it may be. Cold is also a construct because I can be warm in 24 degrees or I can be cold in 24 degrees or whatever the, the temperature, right? So it's coming back to say, what is the thing that is way, that is beyond all the constructs and the, the, the lenses of reality that I'm ascribing onto it? 
Because when, as I said, when we engage with reality, we are not engaging with reality as it is. We are engaging with reality through our lens of it. And that lens shapes our experience of reality. So the more you become aware of that lens, the more you will be able to see the isness beyond that lens. And a simple way to do that, that I was really doing this early in my spiritual journey, or at this point now, it's a lot more embedded, but I would be driving and I would say, I'm awakened to the truth that all reality is an illusion. And I would see a red car, let's say, and I'd say, that's a red car. I know that's a red car because that's a construct that's been created for me. What's beyond that red car? I don't know. There's something on the isness beyond the construct that has been ascribed to me, right? So the more I start to see my reality through the lens of the constructs that created, the more I can separate myself from my constructs to start seeing the isness. So even I heard recently from a friend, he was saying that there was a spiritual teacher of his, instead of saying this is a water bottle, holding up a water bottle, he would say this appears to be a water bottle. Because this, that's what it appears to be through me. When I say this is a water bottle, that's not what it inherently is. That's a construct, right? But when I say this appears, because that's the construct. Now I'm saying this appears. So my, my wording is changed to understand that how I engage with reality is a construct. That's interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting. Really cool. Wow. It was really cool when I heard that uh, from, from this friend. And I, I kind of hadn't used that terminology of this appears, but I, but I was looking at the world through these constructs so I can start seeing the isness beyond. And isness is also not just external. It's our emotions too, right? Like right now, if I'm sitting in this room and somebody comes in here with a gun, I'm going to feel fear. I didn't pause to choose to feel fear. I'm feeling it. That's another thing to not resist. And this is actually the more important one because we do this all the time. We'll say, I feel fear, I feel anxiety. What's wrong with me? I should not feel this because the world tells us this is a bad emotion. How do I get rid of this? How do I quote unquote overcome this? How do I conquer this? We're doing everything we possibly think we should do to resist the isness of that emotion. I didn't choose that emotion. We don't choose most of our emotions. We don't choose most of our thoughts. So the isness is to say, got it. I'm having that emotion. I'm having that thought. Cool. It's there. What do I now do with it? Who do I want to be outside of it? What are the actions I can take beyond it? You know, so accepting of the isness is the foundation to then choosing beyond it. Man, that that was really good, man. It reminds me of that scene in the Matrix with the bending of spoons. Yeah, you know where you know is this not a spoon? There is no spoon. And, oh, and yeah, there or there is no spoon, right? Yeah, it's been a while since I've no, seen it's that. Such a great movie. That scene but is deeply profound. It, yeah, yeah, and it well, and then I think it it in perfectly encapsulates the where you are right now. Yeah. I think it perfectly really talks about the isness and seeing what things are or things that are not there or can be there. And because you talked about isness, I remember last year you and I were in a conversation over dinner and you were talking to me about this method acting that you had and you've discussed this publicly and it's it's one of the most profound methods I've seen in embracing isness and also aligning yourself to become who you want to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, to just give a little background to people who aren't familiar with this, uh, you were a big fan in, of Daniel Day-Lewis, or you are a big fan of Daniel Day-Lewis, and you studied him pretty intensely, I would Very say, for like, <laughs> it must have been like a three, six-month period. I mean, yeah. I think it was almost at the point where you were breaking down you know, Hollywood movie facts about each one of his movies <laughs> that like the, yeah. the average, the avid fan would have just been like, oh, that's cool. Um, but what I found really interesting was the dedication to your craft to study someone who is a master of their craft. And you took some of these principles with method acting. And what you did was, is that you created this identity of striving to become the greatest polar explorer that the world has ever known. And you like 
constantly shape and mold it in. You're still working on that, right? Because you had told me it's a never a finished product. Like mm-hmm. you just keep keep doing that. When it comes to the terms of isness and choosing to create this method, um, create this program for method acting that you were inspired by Daniel Day-Lewis, talk to me about where that came from and what mm-hmm. you found so compelling and riveting for you to move away from the old constructs of your old identity to move mm-hmm. into the season of your life where, you know, you're married now, you're attempting to do this expedition it, that nobody's ever done. Uh, you've been on some of the biggest podcasts in the world and you've told this story, you've, you speak in front of crowds. Some of this stuff though, Akshay, has happened in less than a year. That's what's crazy about this. And, mm-hmm. and I don't say crazy in disbelief. I say crazy. It's like fascinating to yeah. me that you have created a lot of this in less than a year. I would love for you to just share with the audience about this program, where it came from and how you use it on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, why, why I went into method acting is just to even describe what that is. Actors like Daniel Lee Lewis, he's the greatest method actor, arguably the greatest mm-hmm. actor of all time. He, when, when they are filming a character, when they're filming a movie, they become that character. So they're not just mm-hmm. pretending to, let's say, feel sad as an emotion. They're feeling sad. So even when the cameras aren't filming, they often stay in character. So why does this apply to personal growth? Because, so I'm a big fan of movies, which was what had me kind of delve into it. Because the, the, the ability to completely create a new identity in Daniel Day Lewis and other method actors case, they're creating a character for the movie. Right. And the, the way they do that, especially Daniel Lee Lewis, one director said of Daniel Lee Lewis, I've never seen anybody come, come as close to complete obliteration of the self. So here's a man who completely obliterates every sense of construct around his own identity as Daniel Day Lewis and becomes, you know, uh, Lincoln or becomes Bill a Butcher or whichever one of the characters he's playing to the point that he thinks and dreams and feels as the character, not as himself. So when I saw this, as I go in deeper into it, I was like, this is the most, and then I started studying it. And as you said, obsessively for a long time, I realized there's no greater tool for personal transformation than this, because we get to create whoever we want to be. Instead of doing all this nonsense about like the way kind of going to seminar, I'm not knocking seminars, like I've been to a few, but trying to do all this, this to me, what feels like unnecessary personal development work too. And I'm not, like, again, there's value in going within. Obviously, I'm not against that, but you just create a you create an identity and you become it. Awesome, got it. Now, how do I go deeper into doing that, right? So coming to that isness, a big foundation of that is you have to know yourself even deeper. So actors, they do a lot of spiritual work to actually bring that to the character. Because like, imagine I tell you, hey, Mike, how do we, you know, how do we get to New York? You could tell me all these different ways, but the first Mm -hmm. thing you got to know is where are we starting from? Oh yeah, depending on where we're starting from, the answer we're is skiing, different. We're, we're, we're skiing to Antarctica. We're skiing, exactly. we're skiing from Antarctica <laughs> to New York. Exactly. You got to know where yeah. you're starting from. So in the method acting case, I take what's within. Like a good example of this is before I met Melissa and now we're married, I was there was moments where I would feel really lonely. And I didn't want to admit that I'm lonely mm. because it it didn't feel like I should be lonely. You know, It was deep within, it was buried within, because especially what I'm training for in Antarctica, to be 110 days alone out there, I can't be lonely. I'm not lonely. I'm fine. Right. But when I got deeper into method acting, I was able to confront my loneliness in a deeper way because I was less attached to it. So I would say, Oh God, this is here. This is here, but this really doesn't matter. I'm going to use it. I'm going to f- be with that. I'm going to play in the flavor of that loneliness. I'm going to explore it. I'm going to go swimming in it because I'm not attached to it as an identity, as an aspect of my identity. Who cares that it's there? 
I can be with whatever these constructs of my own identity, my belief systems, my paradigms, my name, my every sense of my self that I have created around myself and recognize that it's there, but all that matters is who I want to be. All that matters is the character that I'm creating. So if this thought, if this feeling, if this way of thinking doesn't serve the character that I need to be, got it, then it doesn't really matter. I don't have to abide by it. Now I will take new actions and in time cultivate a new character, cultivate a new mm. way of thinking that aligns. In my case, the entire character I'm creating is who does who do I have to be to ski across Antarctica, right? Right now, for the last four years, my entire reality is oriented towards that. But method acting has been the single most powerful tool to build that. And that's what I did when I went into the darkness for 10 days. I was literally speaking out the character. I was letting the character speak to me, not me choosing who that character is. And it demands solitude. That's why I went in the darkness to do it. And I went into that solitude and I've said phrases. I wrote things in my journal that I've never said before, never thought before, never experienced before, because I was stepping into a new version of myself the version I want to create. And uh, that's what the method acting process does is essentially it's creating a new character, which we're creating a new identity, the one you seek to be. Yeah. I mean, in, in the process is so powerful too, because the, yeah. it does, it requires a level of commitment far beyond mm -hmm. of anything that you've, you've done. Mm -hmm. And I know that even when you've shared with me the principles, it is almost choice is so important in this process that you have to make sure that your choices are in aligned. You have an alignment. You have to make sure that like it's serving the character you're creating exactly. has to make sure. And it's, it's so good that you've done that. And it's also something that I've seen you really take on in your training as well and inspiring thousands of people. As we're coming to the end of the, the interview, there's, there's two questions I want to ask you. And this first question is, is that, you know, by, October, I believe of 2024, you're going to be skiing across the ice. What are you hoping to accomplish outside of finishing? Outside of actually, yeah, making it across, I'm hoping to, it, this, it, this is abstract, but intentionally abstract. I'm hoping to unearth new treasures within and to mm. experience the depth of God, to touch the hand of God and see what that reveals. That's like, I don't know who I will be on the other side of this. And I don't want to know. That's part of the excitement. That's part of the curiosity. So I'm just yeah. hoping to, to see, like, I'm, I'm curious, I guess that's all. It's, it's more just a curiosity to see what messages will re be revealed to me, who I will become on the other side of this and what, um, what that, that experience of God will be like in that, in, cause in that solitude, in that suffering away from decadence, away from distraction, in that silence, you really start to hear. And what I want is to hear. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to hear those things you don't get to hear, especially in that extended period of solitude and suffering. And I can't wait to see what messages will be revealed to me in that. Man, that's so good. What a what a powerful way to wrap up this episode and this interview. And Akshay, thank you, man, for your friendship. And thank you for your time. I know you got you, a really busy schedule. You are... Um, you are getting ready to, to leave quite soon. So yeah, for you sure. to carve out some time in your day to sit down with us today and, and talk about your story and your journey and what you're hoping to accomplish is really phenomenal. So thank you. Thank you, brother. Um, we wrap up every single episode asking our guests to answer this one question and hoping to inspire thousands and millions of people across the world to be in alignment, mm. to live their truth. Mm. And so Akshay, what does it mean to you to live your truth? love that question. To live your truth means 
to have clarity on who you want to be, what you want to do, how you want to serve. That's You can't live your truth if you don't know what that truth is. So knowing that clarity and then committing the entirety of your soul to that path, obsessively Mm. pursuing it with commitment, with conviction, with clarity, willing to suffer for that truth, willing to go to war with yourself for that truth, because you will have to suffer. You will have to struggle to go to places you've never been to live that truth because that's the nature of, of, of life, right? But to be willing to suffer for it, to be willing to even be more playful for it, to enjoy the journey, whether the, the summits and the valleys and the highs and the lows and to, to be as, as we kind of started off this conversation, being aligned. So it comes with clarity of who you want to be and then com- absolute commitment and conviction on being that person, even when, especially when you're being battered by the storms of life. Akshay Nanavati, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you, brother, and uh, looking forward to catching up when you get back. Thank you, brother. And thanks to all of you for tuning into this week's episode of Live Your Truth Now. If you like what you saw and heard, please subscribe to Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch this full version and many more other episodes on our YouTube channel. Please go ahead and click the subscribe button on the channel below. I'm Mike Ligori, and I'll see you next time. Peace out. Peace out.